All right. Praise the Lord. We thank God for his goodness and for his mercy. God is always good and always doing great things. There isn't enough we can actually say about him. And, uh, and honestly, it's a privilege and an honor just to be able to talk about his goodness, especially when we consider all that he actually does for us. And that, that's just a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful for his patience. Um, and I'm thankful for his word because this life has, uh, so many things to sidetrack you on that it can be difficult at times to know uh, which way is up and which way is down. But God's word is the direction. It's the compass that we need. And so we are very thankful. Um, we are embarking um, or about to embark uh, back into the word of God, uh, this time covering a different topic within the Bible Matters uh, series of Bible studies. Again, these are the Bible studies that uh, don't follow a particular set theme. They are just literally whatever God gives us at that moment, at that time, and we go forward uh, and we explore the word as God gives it to us. Uh, I'd like you to turn your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts um, chapter three, we're going to look at verses one through eight, the book of Acts, uh, chapter three, verses one through eight. Um, it's always wonderful when we can uh, take a deep dive into the book of Acts as it is uh, or contains the history of the first church. Many uh, churches today struggle with knowing what it is that they are supposed to be doing. What is the church supposed to look like? Um, this world has an image and uh, mainstream um, um, religion or Christianity paints an image of what um, church is supposed to look like. But I, I challenge that. Um, I challenge each and every one who listens to these uh, messages into the word of God to take the church, whatever the church it is that you go to and compare it to what you see in the book of Acts. Amen. Because it will show you very plainly, very simply, whether or not your church is going in the right direction. There are many churches that are open in the name of Jesus, but they are not following Jesus. We are not following the word of God. In order for a church to be what she is supposed to be, that church must be in compliance with the word of God. The church cannot take a day uh, off from following the word of God in order to follow their own thing. No, they must do it the way the Bible says do it. The church cannot come up with their own um, ideas and come up with their own rule set. No, the doctrine that is the word of God, the very rule set of heaven, that is what governs the church. And the church, in order for her to be the church, must operate as the church, meaning she must operate according to what has been laid down. Amen. So the book of Acts is indispensable, as all the scripture is indispensable. Um, but a lot of uh, special attention and care should be given to the book of Acts because it will help us see not only what the church should be doing, but if we're off track, guess what? We know what to line up to. We know what we we know how to get back in line. We know what we're supposed to be looking like. So if we're not looking like that, we can use the word of God. We can use what he's given us, what he's 
saw fit to have recorded in the book of Acts to give us a, an actual demonstration or example of what the church is supposed to do. With that, the book of Acts chapter 3, verses 8, 1 through, through, 1 through 8, so Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, reads as follows. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. May the Lord have a blessing to and add a blessing to all those that read his word, that hear his word, but most importantly, that do and obey his word. Amen. Praise God. Look at that, 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 uh, that phrase there. I love it. Um, we see it, this phrase in verse number six, Peter says to the man, says silver and gold, have I none? But look at this phrase, but such as I have, give I thee, okay? But such as I have, give I thee, man. And for just a few moments, um, let, let's talk about what we have to give. What do you have to give? Peter said, such as I have, give I thee. So what he had, he said, I'm going to give that to you. The question is, is what do we have to give? And that's a, that is a very uh, interesting thing because giving brothers and sisters is a big topic uh, in the Bible. It's not a, um, it's not one that um, you really have to kind of work in order to find. It's not a, a subtle theme, so to speak, within the scripture. No, giving is a very prominent thing. It is, uh, it's very, um, it's very uh, upfront, it's very out front. And it's uh, right there, you don't have to go that far when you're reading the Word of God, to find uh, instances of giving to find examples of giving and to find uh, different circumstances under which giving took place, you will never go that far when you read the Bible, you can just I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, you're, you're going to run into you're going to run headlong into giving. It won't be something that um, that escapes your attention. Uh, nevertheless, uh, that means that it's important. 
glory to God. Um, if the Bible, if God would take time to explore a topic, a subject, it is uh, worth paying attention to because God doesn't talk for his help. Amen. Now you're subject to run into people. And I know I've run into people who, who, um, who, who, who run their mouth. They may talk about all kinds of stuff and, and some of them will talk without, uh, without fail. Um, and not everybody who's running their mouth or who's talking is even talking about something, but God is not that way. God doesn't just frivolously talk. God doesn't frivolously just run his mouth. God's not a blabbermouth. Okay. God's not a blabber mouth, which, um, well, this is probably the perfect moment to segue into this. Um, family, you need to be careful of people who are always talking about the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. Because there are some people that really will make it seem as though the Lord is just talking 24 seven and he is just, just going on and 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 on. No, 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 no. God is, God does not change. The word of God is very plain. He says that I am the Lord, thy God, and I what? Change not. God does not change. Now, that being the same, being this being the case, the consistency of God is paramount and is visible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So the same God in that you find that you see in Genesis when you start, you're gonna find that same God in revelation when you end god is not going he doesn't go from genesis to revelation and become a different god or become a new type of god or change into a god god doesn't change his ways do you hear what i'm telling you god doesn't that god no no the bible says god is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that what he should repent god doesn't god you don't go from genesis to revelation and find a narrative where God or find a history rather, um, because it's more than just a narrative. The word of God is not just a, is, is, is not a good book. It is life. Jesus said the, you know what I'm saying? The, the words that he speak, they are life. Amen. They are spirit and they are, and they are life. Amen. The narrative or the history, so to speak though, as covered in the Bible is not one of change, meaning, um, uh, um, in particular to that referring to God Almighty. So you don't read the Bible and see where God changes. No, God, God stays the same as he always was and will be the same in the future. Amen. God doesn't change. And so when you run into people, you, you, when you run into people who are always talking about God taught me this and God told me that, listen, 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 use your spiritual head and discernment. Why? Because if God does not change, you have to understand he's not going to start doing something that he has never done. In the Bible, God never just ran his mouth. God never just talk, 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 talk. You don't ever see that. You don't see any one person in the Bible where God has ever done that. Now, will God talk to you? Absolutely. Yes. God does talk. And God has many ways, has many, has many ways of talking. But there are some people that make it seem as if God is just constantly talking incessantly. No, 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 no. God has already said, for the most part, what he wants to say. He's given the word of God. And when God speaks, God reconfirms, God says what he's already said. He doesn't change. 
doesn't come up with anything new. Now, God will speak to your situation and things like that. But what he will do when God speaks to your situation is that he will speak his word. He will use what he has already said and he will apply it to what you have going through. God is not going to pioneer something new. God does not change. And the character of God is not one where God just runs his mouth all the time. This is why you need to be careful because people will go around talking about God told them this and God has done this, that, and other, and God has told them nothing. You take some time and you just observe that person's character. Don't judge them. Don't get all off into that. Don't get, don't get into to arguments and all no and, 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 and disputes. Don't get into that. I, what I'm telling you is keep your eyes open and be prayerful. And what they say, what you're looking for is for it to have a manifestation. It should line up. If God, look, if God, look, when God says something, he's going to perform it. It's going, it's going to happen. So all you need to do is line up what they're saying or whoever's saying what, just line it up with the word of God. Wait on God. Wait on God. Don't just be so quick to take what somebody's saying, hook, line, and sinker, because they said, you know what? The Lord told me this, and the Lord showed me this, and the Lord showed me that, and the Lord, no, 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 don't get into that. Many of people have been led astray because they trust that the person who tells them that they heard from God actually really heard from God. No. You will know a tree by the fruit it bears. Amen. 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 Peter says, such as I have, give I thee. And so we're talking about what we have to give. And we said that giving is an important topic. And there will be people who will claim that they got a message to give you because they talk. No, 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 no. You, you, you push pause on them and you wait on God. Let God confirm whatever it is that they are saying. Don't just go all off the cuff as soon as somebody says th this, that, and other. It don't matter how religious they are. It don't matter how, how long they've been in church. You check everything against the word. Bible says, try the spirits, whether they be of God. Don't just be buying into what people are saying. The proof got to be in the pudding, brothers and sisters, that life got to match up with that. That word got to come to pass. Because if it ain't, then that person is a liar. That's just the long and short of it. That person is a liar. And you won't know that if you just, if you're not using the word, if you're not walking and using the gift of the sermon, you will not know that. Giving is a big, important topic, so much so that Jesus had to even teach the poor how to give. And that's arguably what he was doing with all of us. We were poor and destitute, broken down in sin. We didn't have anything to give. But the Lord had to come and teach us how to give our life to him. How did he do it? By demonstrating him giving his life for us. He had to teach us how to love and give love. He had to teach us, he had to teach us how to be faithful and to walk in faith. He had to teach us that we actually, we who are poor, 
we who are lost at times, we who just don't have anything at times, even though it may seem like that. Even with us, giving is still required because we actually have something to give. Amen. And so giving is an important topic. Now, Acts chapter three, verses one through eight covers um, the first miracle, so to speak, performed by the church or the apostles. So after um, Jesus um, has ascended, okay? And, um, um, and the, the, the formal uh, um, uh, earthly birth, so to speak, the formal birth rather of the church has taken place as on the day of Pentecost. Now, let me add something here, okay? On the day of Pentecost, the formal uh, birth, so to speak, of the church took place, all right? But that is not, Pentecost is not when the church was born. You need to understand that, okay? The origin of the church, the origin story of the church goes back further than Pentecost. And that's something that you want to know. <clears throat> the origin of the church resides within God. It was birth, it came about in God, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Amen. Amen. And keep that in mind. Uh, especially verse 28. And we know that all things work together for them for good to them who, that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Um, and 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate and conform to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many. Now, look at Ephesians chapter one, verses four through seven, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That's the origin of the church. That's where you started. That's where the church began. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Did you see that? Did you see that? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. The church began in eternity. It began with God. 
the heart, mind of God. That's the origin of the church. Okay. Pentecost is when it formed was the, uh, the formal almost ratification, so to speak of it. Okay. So in other words, it kind of formally came together. We, we began to, it, it, we, 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 it, it came together in the natural. Amen. When we read about what happened on the day of Pentecost, but the day of Pentecost, but the church itself didn't begin. So you really can kind of look at it as more on the day of Pentecost the, the church was, so to speak, was open for business, so to speak, okay, was made public, so to speak, is really what happened on the day of Pentecost, the church went public, okay, God, the guys, the, the doors of the church were swung wide open on the day of Pentecost, but it did not begin on Pentecost, it began in the mind of God. Amen. And that's something that you need to understand. The church goes beyond Pentecost. Okay. That's why you cannot just get caught up in the, uh, in, 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 in the, in Pentecost as, as the end all be no, 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 no. goes back further than that. Your roots, the church, the roots of the church are deeper than just the day of Pentecost. It doesn't reside just there. And that's a good thing for us to know. Now let's talk a little bit about Pentecost. Pentecost. Now what is Pentecost? Pentecost was a feast. Okay. For those of you who have, um, um, have access to the intertestamental um, books or the deuterocanonical books. Um, those would be the books um, uh, in between, amen, uh, Malachi, so to speak, and Matthew, The uh, also referred to as the Apocrypha. There is a book, 2 Mac Maccabees um, chapter uh, 12, verse 31 and 32, says they gave them thanks, desiring them to be friendly still unto them. And so they came to Jerusalem, the feast of the week's approaching and after the and after the feast called pentecost amen amen pentecost was a feast okay it's a jewish feast okay pentecost also known or was also known as the feast of weeks so approximately about about 50 days or so okay after passover we have what is known as the Feast of Weeks. And this Feast of Weeks is alternatively called or known as the Feast of the Harvest or Pentecost. Okay? Those are other names for it, okay? It celebrated the grain harvest and the renewal of the covenant, okay? It is named for the seven weeks, so to speak, okay? separating it from the Passover celebration. The Feast of Weeks celebrated. What did it do? It, what it really did, in essence, was is that it celebrated the entrance, the entrance into the promised land and its bounty. Amen. That's what it, that's what it represented. Leviticus 23 and 10, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when ye be come into the land, which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof, because remember, it's a harvest feast, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. That's dealing with Pentecost, okay? That's celebrating of the first fruits, so to speak, okay? The, the harvesting of the first fruit. So all of these different things. Pentecost, or this harvest of weeks, 
um, usually took place in the ninth month according to the Jewish calendar. So uh, Sivan, okay, that's when it was. And you can read about that um, in Exodus 23, um, 16. Um, you'll see it again, 30, uh, Exodus 34, 22. You'll see it in Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. You'll see it again in Numbers 28, 26 through 31. You will also see it in Deuteronomy uh, 16, verses 9 through 12, and you will see it again in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Amen. And I already gave you the scripture uh, about it um, in occurring um, in the book of Maccabees. Amen. So you see it, script, you see it, you, you see it and you hear about it and you read about it in scripture. Now, in our text, let's move back into Acts, back to chapter 3, and back to verses 1 and 8. That's a, we've kind of given a little bit overview about the church, talked a little bit about that. And we also talked a little bit about, um, about uh, Pentecost, because all of these things took place after the Pentecost, oh, after the, 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 the formal, uh, um, the, the, the doors of the church, so to speak, were formally open, okay, on the days of, on, on, on the day of Pentecost. This takes place, our narrative takes place, this history takes place after that, okay? Because this records the first miracle, all right, by the church or done in the church, done by the apostles. Once the church doors are open, okay? When we say church doors are open, you've heard me say that a couple of times. What I mean is, is that the way of salvation, okay? Repentance of your sins in the name of Jesus, being baptized, water baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, okay? And being filled with the Holy Ghost. That salvation process, okay? That process is what one undertakes in order to gain entry into the church. So when we say the doors of the church were finally were open or formally open, what we mean is, is that that process of salvation on the day of Pentecost had been made openly available to all mankind. That's what we're talking about, okay? Now the church is ready to baptize people. The church is ready to go all of that, all of that, okay? So this first miracle, okay, that we just read about in Acts 3, 1 through 8, takes place after the doors or the way of salvation has been made public and available to all mankind. Hence, the doors of the church were formally open. Now, when we open up in our text, we open with Peter and John on their way to the temple. Okay. Now, get we want to we want this to stick. So, when we say temple, you what get in your mind? This the equivalent would be going to church. Okay, that's what you'd be doing. They were headed to the temple. Okay, so they would, and our equivalent would be going to church. Now, during this time, this is an important kind of thing to know. You want to keep in mind because this was not a separate congregation. This was not a different congregation, and it was not a congregation of just Christians. You need to understand that. Now, in the day when the days of the church were that the church was formally open, so to speak. Now, you have to remember. In the very beginning, very, very, very beginning, okay, 
during this time, the early Christians still worshiped in the temple along with the non-Christian Jews. So they all went to the temple at the temple times, at the times to go. So it wasn't necessary at the, in the very, very beginning, they were not all, they weren't separated like that. They, they, they were still going to the synagogues. They were still going to where the Jews were or where you would, where you would find Judaism or so to speak. You, it wasn't separate. There wasn't like, for instance, uh, um, today we have all kinds of different churches and all kinds of different things going on. Today, many churches are separated by denomination. And that's a real shame. That's sad because God is not into denomination. Denomination, I'm sorry, I don't care what nobody say, that is not of God at all. No, it's not. It's not of God at all. Denomination being separate, no, 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 no. First Corinthians 1 and 10 says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye shall speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The divisions and all that kind of stuff, that is of the enemy. That's of the devil. That is of the enemy. That kind of, the separation of, that, that, that's cancerous, so to speak, to the body of Christ. That is not the way God wanted it to be. That is not the way God intended it to be. During and during that time, or there wasn't there wasn't no separation like that. When the temple was opened, that's where everybody went. That's where the Christians went. Now they eventually uh, it would eventually begin to kind of splinter off, so to speak, and we would begin to worship together. But at first, it wasn't like that. They went there, and they took the word there. The mission was there. They took the word, they went not only to hear the word, but to bring the truth of Jesus Christ. The understanding of the word. In these synagogues and in these temples, you got to understand, the word of God was read. And it had been read for centuries. They had the law and Moses and all of these different things. But when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of the law. And so now Jesus has opened the doors of the church. And so his believers and the followers are now tasked, these apostles, with taking that word. And you know where they took it? to what was formerly known, to what, the, what would have been formerly considered the church in that day. That's what they did. They took it to the temple because the temple is where they went. They didn't have their own temple. They didn't have their own thing. No, 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 no. That ain't how it started out. It didn't start out that way. Today, many churches are separated by denomination. I mean, and it's, a, and it's a dime a dozen, and I'm telling you, and it's a shame. It is. But as I read for you in 1 Corinthians 1 through 10, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. See, God don't care. Listen, denominations is what we come up with because we can't get along. 
because we don't agree with one another. That's where all that stuff comes from. And anyway, that's what I'm saying. It's of the devil. It is of the enemy. It No. Us trying to do our own thing. That's ultimately where all that stuff comes from. That's ultimately. And so now today we have all, I mean, it's, it's like 31 flavors. You pick it. It doesn't matter. You name a denomination. But let me explain something to you. God don't care about denomination. What God cares about is obedience to that word. That's what God wants is obedience to the word. And the scripture, 1 Corinthians 1 through and 10 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the what? Same thing. I want you speaking it so good to the point that there be no divisions among you. That's just how much we should be saying the same thing or how in unison we should be. Whether you call it Catholic, whether you call it Pentecostal, whether you call it Baptist, whether you call it coach, I don't care what it is, whatever else it is. The question on the table is, is are you obeying what the word of God says? That's what it always comes down to. God, I'm not, God's not worried about all the other stuff. That don't mean anything to him. All that, 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 I mean, that, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to him. What we call ourselves and all that kind of stuff. No, we got to get away from all that kind of stuff. We got to get away from all that kind of stuff. Peter and John go. Let's look at this. Let's unpack this. Peter and John, we, we know that they go to the temple. But they go into the temple at the time of prayer. Keep that in mind. So they brought what they had. In essence, they brought what they had to what could arguably be considered a time of need. Think about it. They went to the temple at the time of prayer. And they brought what they had because remember, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, meaning I got something. I got something to give. It might not be what you're expecting and it might not be what you think it is. But I have something to give. And Peter and John brought what they had to give to the temple at the time of prayer, which could arguably be considered a time of need. Because prayer time is where both worship and needs converge. They intersect. It is at prayer time, when a prayer meeting is called, when a time of consecration and prayer is called, both worship and need can freely intersect or interact with one another. They come in contact with one another because in prayer time, it is not uncommon to find the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ going forth or the worship of the Lord. But at the same time, in prayer time, you will also find petitions going forth, requests for help and assistance from God Almighty. So prayer time, again, is a time where both worship and needs 
tend to converge. See, prayer time is one of the best times to show up and be a blessing to the kingdom of God. It really is. It is the perfect place, prayer time, prayer meetings, times of prayer, times of consecration. It is the perfect place and the perfect time for us to bring our supply. Not just your empty container, but also bring your supply. See, prayer time, because remember, it's a time where worship and needs converge. Sometimes you'll be on one side's particular or the other, or in one vein or the other. But the reality is, is that you can actually come in both. You can come with two containers, one container full of praise, worship and adoration. That's where you appreciate God for what he's done, for who he is. You're saying thankful, you're being grateful, you're operating in a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's in one container that you bring with you to pray. That's where you're looking at all the things that God's done for you, where he's brought you uh, uh, to and from, all of these different things. It's where you're examining your life and what God has done for you throughout your life. And you're taking the time to say thank you. That's in one container. The other container that you bring with you is the container that is empty. This is the one where you need God to do something. It's where your this is where it's out of this container that your petitions and your requests are made known. They're birthed out of this. God, I need help with this. God, I need assistance with that. God, I don't understand this. God, I need help with that. So when you go into prayer time, you have the ability. Sometimes you'll go, there will be times where you'll come in and all you'll have with you is just seemingly is the container of praise. And then there are some times where people come in and they just have, so to speak, um, that container, the empty container, the container of need, where I'm requesting and so on and so forth. But the reality is, is, is that what probably what we should be doing is, is that we bring both containers because you're not always going to be aware of what you think of what you need. So it's good to bring that container of petition, even if it's in general where God, Lord, help me with this, help me to, to be aligned with your word and to think the way you might not have something specific, but you can always pray to be closer, uh, closer representation to the word and the will of God. That in essence is bringing that container, that container of need, but then also make sure that you come with that container of thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Make sure that you come with that. Okay. Prayer time is, it's, like I said, it's just one of the best times to show up and to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. You can go to church and you can go to prayer time just looking to be blessed, but it is so much more effective when you go with an attitude that I want to be a blessing. Amen. Because it's the perfect time and it is the perfect place for us to bring our supply. Why? Because God works through people. God works through his people. See, there's a couple of things I want you to keep in note or keep in mind as we consider this. Amen. This is good stuff. Amen. But a few things to keep in mind. Okay. Prayer time. Don't 
get into a habit of making prayer time, although prayer, uh, uh, making it all about you. Don't make it, don't make prayer time all about you. You, 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 you got to, you got to bring you into it. Okay. It, it, it's, it is about you, but it's just that it's not all about you because you, it's about you because you need to come before the Lord. The Bible teaches is very plain that man is to always pray and not faint. So it is about you because God wants you to show up. God says, hey, I need you to line up, be present and accounted for. God says, show up, stand in line, get come, come before me. That's what he says. That's what he wants. That's what his desire is. So it is about you, but it is not all about you. That's dealing with the self-centered and the selfish aspect that sometimes, or, 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 or the, the short-sightedness that sometimes comes with us into our prayer meeting. That's when we just exclusively all on our own. Look at Isaiah 56 and verse seven. Bible says this, even them will I bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. Now, this is the Lord talking, so keep that in mind. Listen, now listen to what he says. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now, watch this. Watch where I go with this. The houses that God dwells in are his people. It's not a physical building. The church or the building or the home, the house of God, is the hearts of his people. God dwells within his people. And notice what he says. Mine house. I'm pulling out the spiritual aspect of this, okay? We're not talking from the natural. I'm talking about the spirit. Mine house, one house. What house? You, me, individually. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. One house for all people. I hope you're getting what I'm, where, where I'm driving to. God says, my house singular is a house of prayer for all people, all people bringing that into the plural sense or multiple. So in other words, my house, which is your heart, is a house of prayer, but not just prayer concerning you and concerning me, but it is a house that is designed to pray for all people. It's supposed to be a prayer, a house of prayer for all people. Do you know what that means in spiritual sense? It means I should be praying for everybody, not just myself. 
Amen. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? How God's word just kind of just fits together with that when you take it. And, 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 and again, we were just that part we were looking, there is a natural, uh, a natural application to that. But that part there, I wanted to draw out the spiritual application because we don't always talk about that. We don't always deal with the spiritual side of what God was actually saying in there. When he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Well, you are the house. We are the house. And he says, you are a house of prayer for all people. So in the spiritual sense, what he's saying really is, is that that house is not designed for you to just be praying for yourself. You should be praying for somebody else. Glory to God. Glory to God. You designed, he said, you designed to pray for somebody else. Glory to God. He put you here to pray for somebody else. Are you praying for somebody? Are you praying for others? Amen. God freed you up to do that. And I hope you take advantage of that. Now, because of this, so number one, don't you don't want to make prayer time all about you. No, you don't want to do that. Why? Because we just read the scriptures. Not God didn't design you to just be praying for yourself. You're supposed to be praying for others as well. Now, with that being said, you got to consciously choose to expand your petitioning to cover others. You got to do that. It's easy for us to get in the cycle of praying for ourselves because it's easy and we're used to doing it. But this is what intercessory prayer is all about. And this is where it comes into play. God was really telling you that I really designed you for intercessory prayer, not just personal prayer. We tend to focus on the personal aspect of it. But God says, no, I actually designed you before to, I designed you for much more than just you. You got to consciously choose to expand your petitioning or your prayer request to cover others and not just you. See, many times we get our healing, and here's the reason why, because many times we get our healing, we get our deliverance, we get our answer, we get our direction, we get our strength, we get all of that when we pursue God on behalf of somebody else, amen. When we operate as the hands and the feet and the arms of the Lord, we get blessed. Many times the deliverance and the strength that you're looking for and all this kind of stuff, the, the word that you're looking for. You just let God lead you and use you to pray for others. And, all, and you're gonna, I'm telling you, you are going to be marveled at how quickly many of the answers that you're looking for actually come. Because God just does something. I don't know. God just does something for you, for the heart that prays for other people. There is such a fulfillment. There's such a strength. There are so many answers that seem to just come rolling to the front. When you make it about somebody else, when you pray for others, we used to sing a song in the church growing up that would say, pray for me. And, it, and the course would just go on and on, pray for me. And one point they would go, when you're down at the altars, when you're down at the altar, and while you pray for others, pray for me. Loved hearing that song growing up as a kid, and I, and I love it still. The song really just simply were said, you know, pray, pray for me. It was just a, it was a song where you just, they, the chorus really, they're just singing over and over, pray for me. And when you're, when you're at the altar and you're praying for others, pray for me. There's such strength that God has set aside for you to receive. 
when you pray for others. Answers come. See, because God is all about the selfless heart. Oh, man, God gets excited about that family. God loves that. that that's important to God. And when God, I, I, I mean, I wish I could just tell you technically how it works. I, I, I don't. Honestly, I don't have the words to even try to describe it. So I wouldn't even try. I, all I know to the best of my ability is, is that when you start praying for others, for real, loving them in spite of and praying for the best for them and praying for them, man, I'm just telling you, you can be in the midst of everything burning down around you in your own life and stuff falling apart. And all of a sudden, guess what? Got to do something for you. See, when we pursue God on behalf of someone else, we operate, we off, we operate as the hands and the feet and the arms of the Lord. See, we operate at his, as, at his, as his hands when we handle one another and the things of God with respect, with care, and with great skill. We operate as the feet of our Lord when we refuse to allow one another to suffer alone in silence, but rather we make it our mission, our business to as the feet of the Lord go where they are. The Lord didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. We operate as the arms of the Lord in addition to being operating as hands and feet, but we also operate as the arms of the Lord. When we choose not to withhold our bowels and hearts of compassion, choosing instead to reach out and to embrace the lost and the hurting. Because that's what you do with your arms. You reach out, you gather, and you draw it in close in an embrace. So, and in that way, we operate as the hands, we operate as the feet, and we operate as the arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Other things to keep in mind about prayer, about this prayer time, about in addition to not making it about you, and, and in addition to consciously choosing to petition let our petitions cover others instead of just ourselves. In prayer time, be observant of others' needs. And when we're doing this, that means that you're going to need to be observant of others' needs. When everybody comes together and they're praying, you're going to hear all sorts of different prayers. And you've got to be observant of others' needs, not just your own during the time of prayer, and especially during a time of corporate prayer when we come together. Remember, Peter and John went to the temple during the time of prayer. So there's other people there. So that's, that was more of a corporate type of prayer thing. Being observant of these needs during the time of prayer means that you're not going to be able to, you're going to hear people praying. But you got to walk in spiritual integrity when that happens. and with spiritual maturity. So when you are in there and you hear people pray, you're not going to be able to always help, but to, to, you're not going to be able to not listen. But what instead, what you want to do is you want to lean into that and you listen 
with the intent to help. Now, you cannot do this if you do not come to prayer with an attitude of also looking to be a blessing and not just receiving a blessing. So you actually have to go with the intent to bring your supply, okay? Listen with the intent to help, not the intent to eavesdrop. You are not there when people are praying. That is not the time to get and have a mindset of that I'm going to get the latest gossip. That's not what that's for. And if you and if I'm telling you right now, and if you're showing up to corporate prayer, wherever it is, whenever it is, and that's your and that's your mindset, you need to leave. You your your heart is wrong, and you messing up. You are in the right place under the wrong conditions. You need to get your heart right because you're not there to hurt your brothers and sisters. And prayer time is not, and the needs that go forth. There are many needs that go forth during prayer time. And never do you have the right to take what somebody is praying about and use that against them. No, you don't. No, you don't. You got to walk in spiritual integrity. David said, I've walked in my integrity. You're not going to be able to not hear them. But you got to get your hearing right. Listen with the intent to help. Is there anything in this prayer that I, is there a need being covered that God has blessed me with? And I, maybe I can, maybe I can bless and I can help this person. We don't do that, but that's what we're supposed to be doing. Listen with the intent to help, not the intent to eavesdrop or to get the latest gossip. Be observant, family, not nosy. Prayer time is not for nosy people. It's not. It's for the observant. Those who realize that they are the hands, the feet, and the arms. And during prayer time, God just may give you an assignment. God may, just may, bring something to the forefront that you are able to do or to assist with or able to function as the hand or the feet or the arms of the Lord in that life of that brother or that sister. Peter and John show us that ministry often begins outside the temple. Because remember, they went to the temple. They weren't in the temple yet, okay? All of this stuff, this miracle takes place outside of that. So Peter and John show us that ministry often begins outside the temple or formal gathering place. See, we must get rid of the mindset that keeps us from sharing the faith. Not our faith, but the faith. When we talk about, see, there's a difference between your faith and the faith. When we talk about you, our faith, okay, we're talking about our walk. We're talking about our experiences and all of those different things. But when we talk about the faith, we are talking about the walk of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the faith, we are talking about that which is required for those to be saved. When we talk about the faith, we're talking about the walk, the mission that has been assigned to us by the Lord. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the faith. And so we've got to get rid of the mind, that mindset 
that keeps us from sharing the faith with those on the outside of our circle. Easy to do it on the inside. Remember what I told you. Peter and John show us that the that that ministry begins oftentimes it begins outside the temple, outside the formal gathering, outside the church. That's where the mission field is. Majority, that's where it is. It's still some in the church too, but majority of it is outside. And there are many of us that skip the outside because we're more comfortable with ministering and operating on the inside because we got the crowd. And it's easy to do what you need to do when you got a crowd backing you up. But when you don't, mm -mm, it gets a little difficult. And some people have a problem with that. See, too often we want to minister only to those on the inside instead of those on the outside. And why? Well, because it's easier to deal with those already in the church than to do the work necessary to bring those on the outside of the church into the church. That's why. See, the man in our text who was lame and that they put out there, the man knew evidently that if ever he was to receive alms, if he was going to be getting some alms, if anybody was going to have compassion and help him out, it would more than likely be from those that go to the temple. That, that obviously is the thinking. That obviously is the thought. If they, if, if they laid him there and they always did, amen. They, they, if they, if they, they would, they, the, the scripture suggests that this is something that they would do. They would lay this man there. And there's a reason why they kept laying this man there. Because it was assumed that if anybody was going to take compassion, if anybody was going to have a heart, if anybody's heart was going to melt and ache and, and break and, 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 and bubble over with the desire to help, then it would more than likely be somebody who goes to the church, somebody who goes to the temple. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Lord has made his people synonymous with himself. Hence, we are called the children of the most high God. He's made us synonymous with him. We are associated with him. Amen. As he is known, as God Almighty is known, as able and being able to help, it will often be assumed by those in need, hear me now, that you as a son or daughter of the Most High are also able to help. It will be assumed simply because you are associated with the Most High God, High God, it will be assumed that you have something to give. Amen. It's going to be assumed that you have something to give. Giving is part of the church's identity. It's intrinsic. It's part of it. It's part of the image of the church. And it's because it's part of the identity of the church. Giving is part of the identity. God so loved the world that what? He gave. That's John 3, 16. The man obviously needed help in other areas. Now, from 
we can we can we can and we can determine that because of the nature of the blessing that he actually received or the miracle that it's obvious he he needed help in other areas but although he needed help in other areas which we can kind of discern from the narrative he only knew so it would seem how to reach out for help in the one area Amen. He needed help in other areas. But he was content to just get alms. There were other problems and things in his life, evidently, that could have used some sprucing up and some changing. But he was there to collect the alms. He was there for the one need. Many people that you run into don't realize how lost they are. Do you not know that many of the world don't think they are lost at all? They don't know that something is wrong. They don't know that something is off. They don't know that they are lost. And the worst type of lost is the one that you don't know about, the one where you think you're found. To be lost and not know you lost, that's a bad situation. The observant saint who is led by the Holy Ghost should be able to see beyond what the world thinks they need and discern what they actually need. Now, if you're not in tune with the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be able to do that. Because you and I, if we in tune with the Holy Spirit, ought to be able to see this man, this woman, needs something more. Their soul needs to be saved. The man noticed in verse three, in verse three, the man clearly noticed the apostles before they noticed him. Now you read that in verse three, who's seeing Peter and John, this is talking about the man about to go into the temple, asked in alms, who's seeing is talking about the man. He saw Peter and John getting ready to go in. So he went through his routine and he asked in alms. So the man, no doubt, noticed them before they noticed him. Amen. Assumption of one's ability to help, because remember, they asked, they asked them to help. He saw them and he asked them to help. In other words, he asked them for an all. That's what he did. Assumption of one's ability to help often precedes the understanding of one's actual ability to help or that one. So in other words, assumption, people tend to assume someone can help before they actually understand 
whether or not that person has the ability to help and in what way can they help. So people tend to assume that a person can help without knowing just in what areas or to what degree a person can actually help them. So sometimes people, when, when they want help, they will assume that you can help them in the way that they want to be helped. Watch where we're going. Most times people, when they want help, they help when they request it, they already have in their mind the type of help that they want or that they think they need. They don't know at that point what your ability is to actually help them or what it is you can actually help them with. Some people think you can help them with this before they get the understanding that no, you can't help them with this. You can only help them with that. Hopefully that makes sense. Before the apostles could help though, they had to first look on the man. Amen. They had to first look on the man. They gazed at him, which means to look with fixed eyes. Amen. Verse four, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John. So it was Peter and John. This is what they said. They said, so the man looks at him, them first. But then they, before they help, they request that the man look on them. But first, the scripture says, fastening his eyes on him with John. Before they could request the man to look on them, which he did when they said, look on us. Prior to that, they had to first look on him. And that fastening his eyes actually means to gaze. That's what that means, that phrase, fastening his eyes. Okay, this is what Peter and John did. It means that they gazed at him. And when you look into that word, what that actually means by them gazing at him, it means they looked with fixed eyes. It means they focused on him. They focused on him before they could help, before they could do anything. They had to first focus on this man. They had to take in all that was this man. In other words, they had to come to grips with who he was and what was before them. They had to look on his situation. They couldn't be numb to his plight. If they were going to help him, they couldn't be, they couldn't be oblivious to what was going on with this man and what was the nature of the man. They looked with fixed eyes. They focused on this man. If you, listen, listen, listen. Effort alone, many times, will allow us to help someone. If all you want to do is help somebody, all, that's, that, that's, that can be done. All you need is just a little bit of effort. 
A little bit of effort is all that's really needed to be a help to somebody. Just a little bit of effort. However, but if you want to minister to somebody, that takes more than just effort. It takes focused effort. Focused effort allows us to minister to one another because focus effort allows us to target what is actually required or where the issue actually lies before they could help this man. They had to first focus on this man and perceive what was going on with this man. Amen. Amen. And after they do this in verse four, the apostles then require the man to look on them. Amen. And that's very interesting because the Bible says in verse five, and he gave heed unto them. After they tell him, look on us, the Bible says, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something else. What just happened? When the man looked on them, the Bible says that he gave heed to them. And what that actually means is to follow with the eyes, watch this, or with the mind. So, in other words, when they said, Look on us. It was really saying, consider us. Think they were getting ready to level set expectations of this man. When the man looked on them, he gave heed to them, which meant that not only to follow with the eyes, but with the mind, it meant that the man started to consider them. And then notice what the scripture says, expecting to receive something of them. He fastened his eyes on them. Beyond just looking with his eyes, but now he's got Peter and John have the man's undivided attention. See, the man been here doing this for a long time. Evidently, this is what is suggested. And so you can imagine that by now this stuff was routine. He was going through the routine, probably not really stopping at all with any one person to really focus on who it was that he was talking to and who he was asking alms for. It would have probably become a routine that he was used to doing and he could do it in his sleep. But this man needed something more than just alms. He needed alms of a different type. And you can't get that without focus. You can't get that without realizing something more. And you can't get it from people who are unable to give it. You got to now understand what they are able to do. 
They focused. He focused. He didn't just follow with his eyes, but he followed with his mind, meaning he was now focused and attentive. He was now paying attention. Not just looking, but paying attention and considering. You cannot give. The apostles had to level set expectations. Silver and gold have I none. See, it was necessary for them to tell the man, look on us. Because they were getting ready to offer this man something that that man was going to have to decide whether or not he was going to want it. Because what he was getting ready to get or what he had access to was not what he originally requested. And brothers and sisters, it is the same way when you're dealing with people. People come wanting one thing, thinking this is the solution and that is the solution. But when you are led by the spirit of God, you can see that that person is lost in sin. That that person is struggling with righteousness and struggling with doing the right thing. They think they need help in one area, so they ask you for something, but it is you up, but you must be led by the spirit of God and walking in the spirit of discernment so that you can see what is actually needed. And when you see what is actually needed, you need to understand you can't just force it on somebody. You got to say, look on me, which means consider me. Now you came, you assumed I was able to give you this, but I cannot give you this. All I have is that. You must decide if what I can give is something that you're willing to take. Glory to God. Glory to God. The apostles had to level set that expectation. Silver and gold, have I none? You cannot give what you do not have family, but you can give what you do have. Do you know what you have to give? Well, what did the the apostles have to give then? Maybe that'll help us figure it out in case somebody's struggling with answering the question of what do I have to give? Consider what the apostles give or what the apostles gave. The apostle gave the man, number one, the responsibility of faith. They didn't believe for this man. And they didn't believe on behalf of this man. But they put the requirement of faith and belief squarely on the shoulders of the man who would be healed. 
they gave him the responsibility of faith. Because in order to receive that healing, he would have to believe enough to follow the instructions that were given. They gave him the responsibility of faith. They also gave him permission to be restored. This man had been in this condition evidently for a while. How long from birth? He was born this way. So he had all his life to settle in to life as he knew it, to his routine. And sometimes when you settle into a routine, you don't think things can ever change or ever will change. They are just the way they are. So it is quite possible that this man never even entertained an I, the possibility that he would gain the ability to walk because he would not be regaining the ability. He would be gaining it for the first time. He never been there before. He never had that before. And so for him, it might have been all but impossible. But when the apostles came by, willing to give that which God had given them the authority to, to do so, that which they have been authorized to give. When you have enough faith, family, to believe God enough to make available what God offers. Because some of us get stopped right there. We don't believe, we don't believe enough. We got fear. running rampant, and so we don't believe enough to share this incredible truth. Oftentimes, for fear of rejection. But the quality is not in the sower. The quality is in the seed. The power is in the seed. It's in the word. And when you operate in the word without fear, in the name of Jesus telling them a person that they can be healed, they can be restored. The power for it to manifest don't have nothing to do with you. It's not your willpower that's going to bring about the miracle. It's their belief in God and God's power alone that does it. But do you believe? Many times we don't offer it. Not because we think a person ain't going to believe it, but it's because we don't believe. 
that God can do the impossible, but he can't. And when you choose to operate and believe in the apostle, in the impossible, enough to make the seemingly impossible available, you give permission to those who struggle in their faith to be restored. In other words, you give hope. And finally, what did they give? After they gave this man the responsibility of faith, after they gave this man permission to be restored to hope that the impossible could be possible. You know what else they did? They gave that man a helping hand to get up. Because a person that will believe the gospel A person that will begin to hope again. Is sometimes the, uh, the same person. Who still needs a helping hand to get up. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I'm willing to go. But I can't do it on my own. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there is no name greater. It's the difference maker. It's the miracle bringer. It's where the power is. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Many will believe. Many will hope. But they still need help. Are you willing to lend a helping hand? God bless you. Praise God. Until next time.